Welcome to Lit from the Basement. This is Danielle. This is Max. I'm an author and professor. I used to be the first mate on Captain Quint's ship, the Orca. Now I'm a stay-at-home dad. We're a married couple who discuss literature in our basement while our children are sleeping. Our show is pretty simple. I introduce Max, my poetry-resistant husband, Hello. to a poem which we use as a springboard for conversation in the one hour we have to ourselves in the evening. We're getting a really late start tonight, so the boys are certainly asleep. So let's talk. Okay. So this episode will be aired on MLK Day. That's true. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of neat because we chose Monday not thinking toward any of the things that have come up, but it's been like holiday after holiday. Yeah. I want to take a moment before we jump into tonight's poem mm-hmm. to do a little consideration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I heard of him. <laughs> yeah. The whole world has heard yeah. of him. Fan of his work. Big fan. <laughs> Big fan, Big of fan of Marty. <laughs> um. I mean, he he looms so large in the American imagination, and I hope the rest of the world as well. I hope other people know of him. And he did he did won the Nobel Prize, the Nobel Peace Prize. So I assume other people have heard of him as well. But I do like how there is now this trend because everybody we all agree because even the FBI has tweeted out Happy Martin Luther King Day. I'm like, oh really? You guys tried to drive him to suicide. You blackmailed him. Yeah. You. <laughs> you good. Good that we're all on Martin on Luther King's page. side now. So now. He's everybody agrees now. He's a great man. Cool. Let's talk about social justice, income inequality, Vietnam War, all these other things. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of things that he he was talking about. That still, you know, uh, every year around this time, I go back and I I try to read a little bit of his work. I'm always struck about how salient all of his issues that he talked about still, still. are. But it's more like, damn it, really? Yeah. We still have to. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of amazing. The social legacy that he's left behind, the political legacy that he's left behind is un- unmistakable and it's something that everyone can point to. Mm-hmm. I think that he also le- left behind a true literary legacy. He d- he left behind a literary legacy that is very much founded in his own original way of approaching what is quite erudite literature, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he would be able to quote Dunn and Dante and every verse of the Bible and great philosophical and theological thinkers throughout time. Mm -hmm. He was a deeply learned person, uh, but he was able to take those teachings and, and those ideas and those quotes and curate them in such a way that they became accessible Mm -hmm. to the everyday person. And that is a very particular talent. Mm -hmm. He also, of course, had an amazing voice. If anybody has ever listened to the I Have a Dream speech and wasn't moved in some way, then they're probably dead inside. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, as a little girl listening to the speech, watching the speeches, I just remember... Recordings. Just real quick for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. That should be said. Yeah. The great man had long passed before she, she was born. Long, 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 long passed. You know, I was so moved by it, but I... I became even more so when I was actually asked to give part of his speech when I was in elementary school to the rest of the students. Mm -hmm. And how was that received? Because yours was a predominantly African-American school. Right. Yeah, it was a terrible idea. They should not have asked me to do it. Let's hear what the little white girl has to say. About one of our great leaders. Or, yeah, or or like, it, it wasn't just me okay. up there. It was, it was me. all the white kids in the school put together on your, 
<laughs> All no, six of you got up there. And... No, it wasn't that egregious. <laughs> no, it was me and several other other children, but okay. I was the only one who was white looking. Uh-huh. Right. So, uh, yeah, that wasn't received well okay. um, by by my peers. And I, I, when when I, oh God, I hated when the teachers did this. They would ask me to do something, you know, like that would put me in the spotlight. I'm like, oh God, oh, I am just trying I'm to. I'm just trying to sneak by yeah, here. I'm just trying just to disappear everywhere profile. I go. Yeah. And, and it's just like, you know, do I disobey the teachers? Because I also was like really into following the rules and doing the, the things that the teacher said mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. However, I would say that the big advantage of that is, is that being asked to memorize part of a speech when you're in the fourth grade and the first time you're ever asked to memorize something and perform it in front of your school. Hmm. I mean, it just, those words got inside of me. Right. And I felt like in saying his words through my mouth, there's something about one, I had a deep appreciation for his voice, Mm -hmm. right? Partly Mm -hmm. it's just like his breath and his, his physicality being able to have that booming voice, you know, like most little kids in America that, that left an impression on me. And I don't even care if I'm being sentimental right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know I am and I don't care. Okay. So you got some. The, uh, the, the poem that we, that I chose for this evening doesn't have to do directly with Dr. King. Oh, I thought you're actually going to be reading quotes. Oh, yes. From Dr. King. Yeah. Sorry, I am. Okay. (laughs) So I just wanted to read for you a couple of quotes that I thought were uh, still relevant uh, at this Mm -hmm. particular time that also utilize some poets. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This one is from Remaining Awake Through a Great Revolution. It is no longer a choice, my friends, between violence and nonviolence. It is either nonviolence or non-existence. And the alternative to a disarmament the alternative to a greater suspension of nuclear tests, the alternative to strengthening the United Nations and thereby disarming the whole world may well be a civilization plunged into the abyss of annihilation and our er earthly habitat would be transformed into an inferno that even the mind of Dante could not imagine. Throwing some Dante in there at the Mm -hmm. end. (laughs) There's this one which um, really struck me today again, also from remaining awake through a great revolution. We must all learn to live together as brothers or we will all perish together as fools. We are tied together in the single garment of destiny, caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. And whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the way God's universe is made. This is the way it is structured. John Dunn caught it years ago and placed it in graphic terms. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. And he goes on toward the end to say, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. Therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. We must see this, believe this, and live by it if we are to remain awake through a great revolution. So you can hear King quoting John Donne in Mm. this, which is no mistake. uh, John Donne um, was a poet, a very body (laughs) metaphysical poet. I believe we've we've talked about him before, Mm -hmm. who then became a preacher. Oh. Uh, a minister. But yeah, I mean, in looking through his work today and, and reading, 
reading through, uh, yeah, remaining awake through a great revolution. Um, he, he throws a little Dante and a little done here. And I thought we'd, we'd uh, open that up with this. So, well, it's been about 50 years, so we're good for another one, another great revolution. <laughs> I, I mean, I think we're ready for another Dr. King. <laughs> yeah. Let's bring um, her out. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. She'll be fabulous. <laughs> so the impact of Dr. King as uh, a celebrated figure okay, in American yeah. history. We'll come back to that. <laughs> And his influence on politics and activism, on social exchange, on literature and all aspects of American society is mm-hmm. probably, you know, too great to measure. And Definitely not for this show. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I've been trying to successfully talk about that in an hour. Yeah. Um, but, and, and, and there's also a certain importance to the kind of grand gestures and booming speeches mm-hmm. in order to progress the aims of equity and... But when I think of Dr. King, I think of a revolutionary thinker. Mm-hmm. And there is something very quiet about that. Whether through his own study or sometimes forced quietude through, you know, imprisonment. I'm thinking specifically of letter from Birmingham jail. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. He was able to draw around himself enough time and space to think. And I think it's... He should be thanking the people that put him in prison then. <laughs> to give him that space? Is that where you're going with that this? That is absolutely not <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> what I am talking about. Because <laughs> I'm Good. talking about all of the years before when he, he, he came to culminate the ideas that he had, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> and I think it's from that sacred space of silence and time that I think all in a innovative thought mm-hmm. is created. Okay. He was creating this sort of uh, sacred silent space around himself inside an inferno, mm-hmm. but <laughs> nevertheless. So I, I wanted to I wanted to give a little love to a quiet, thoughtful, yet vast poem. Okay. For this for this t- podcast. And I want it to be by a woman because, you know, women often take the back burner to the grander gestures mm-hmm. of Pretty much anything that's not specifically the Women's March or the Suffragettes. Yes, right. So I wanted to give a little love to a thoughtful poem by Yona Harvey called Report from the Daughter of a Blue Planet Uh from her book Hemming the Water. Now, uh, the poem takes on such a broad perspective that it could certainly be read without considering the voice as speaking from the African-American experience. Mm -hmm. There's nothing specifically in there that's going to tie us to to that. But I do think that considering the African-American perspective deepens the poem considerably. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that when I was reading through I was trying to think of a poem from here that I would like to discuss for MLK. She's a poet that I really like. And mm-hmm. I, I was just like, oh, I'll talk about Yona Harvey. That'd be that'd be great. If I was really, really tying today's episode to MLK, I, I would probably be doing The Riot Inside Me, mm-hmm. which is a poem um, from Hemming the Water, which begins, King's body swallowed, then released, a black boy's spirit, a bullet, a son. It's a beautiful poem, but I was just really feeling some feminine energy today. Okay. <laughs> I'll allow that. Um, and, and also, I just really love this poem. This is probably my favorite poem from the manuscript. And so this poem that we're going to be discussing today is Report from the Daughter of a Blue Planet. We're on one of those. 
We are indeed. Can you tell me a little bit about Yona? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, Yona Harvey is, I, I grabbed her bio. Okay. <laughs> so Yona Harvey is the author of the poetry collection, Hemming the Water, which we have here before mm-hmm. us. This collection uh, won the Kate Tuss Discovery Award from Claremont Graduate University and was a finalist for the Hurston Wright Award. Hmm. Her work has been anthologized in many publications, including A Poet's Craft, A Comprehensive Guide to Making and Sharing Your Poetry, and The Force of What's Possible, Accessibility, and the Avant-Garde. She's contributed to Marvel's World of Wakanda Anthology. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I thought you would like that. Uh, and co-wrote with ta Coates' Marvel's Black Panther and the crew. She, I'm way out of the comic loops. Are you? I, I used to be I used to be on that before yeah. we had children. Yeah, I, I know. Used to, I used to do art. I used to do lots of things before kids. That was one of the reasons I snagged her. I was like, ooh, Max will be really impressed yeah, by that. I am impressed. However, <laughs> I have not read the work yet. Oh, no. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I will, uh, not I will that make, either of us have any hobbies besides this. I'll make the bold uh, declaration that um, it probably um, her work on Marvel Comics probably surpasses this book you're going to read. <laughs> I'm just, I'm making that bold declaration. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, she's also an assistant professor in the writing program at the University of Pittsburgh. Oh. I love Pittsburgh. I know. Yeah, I know you do. I know. I love Pittsburgh. Uh, she's also the loveliest person. Mm-hmm. When she came out with this book, I invited her to give a reading at the University of Cincinnati. Mm. And so she came and gave a reading and she's just really warm and smart and lovely. Mm-hmm. She was very gracious uh, for, for coming out. And she's actually from Cincinnati. Oh. So that was kind of fun uh, for her to be giving a reading from her, first, her hometown. Yeah. From her Man, first book in her hometown. Good. Yeah, wouldn't it? You're like, I'm coming back strong. Yeah. Look at this. A room full of people hanging on my every word. <laughs> I and I got my first was... chili dog just over there. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, a skyline chili dog. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I just honed in on this. I was thinking about the ocean. I was thinking about a lot of the various injustices on our planet. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, Good way to spend your afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was in a really bad space (laughs) this afternoon and somehow reading this poem even though it is a very sad poem made me feel better okay and you're gonna be good to go yes if you want to read along with the poem just go to our website litfromthebasement.com click on the show notes tab along the top then scroll to the show title with the poem's name most recent shows are always on top Report from the Daughter of a Blue Planet by Yona Harvey Night after night the land delivers its verdict Blades of grass struggle through earth Heart and lungs develop in their sacks Beetles mingle with dust and buds of flowers unfasten for the last time The man convicted as a child will perish. The future accumulates its matter beneath the surface of life going about its business. The mind disassembles and covers itself with sleep. From a distance we measure the moon, but might not recognize our own children. A woman calls across a continent and no one answers. 
For the radio listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement with Daniela Max. The poem we're discussing today is Report from the Daughter of a Blue Planet by Yona Harvey. If you'd like to read along with the work, you can find it on our website, litfromthebasement.com. Go to the show notes tab and find show number 25. What's a bit of a pep talk? <laughs> okay, I feel great. So, you feel like, wonderful yeah, now? Yeah, just read this to me in the morning and I'll just take on the day. <laughs> I know it's terribly, terribly sad. I don't know how to explain exactly why sad poems make me feel good, except for I feel like in this particular case, at least one other person is feeling or has felt at some point. Simpatico. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the other thing about this is the tension in this poem between the line and the sentence is just perfect. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm picking things up from you. You're teaching are you? me. But like, are we talking about like the line breaks, like the yeah. words you were hanging on? Mm-hmm. The tension between the line and, and the sentence. So some of the some of the lines, if you take them as an individual unit, have have a, one meaning, and then if you yeah. and then if you extend it on to the full sentence, it has a different meaning. The meaning changes mm-hmm. as the sentence evolves through the line break. Yeah. Um, and that's what's so. So for me, so pleasing about this poem. I really hope that you do get a chance to actually look at it if you're if you're um, listening to this right now. I'll try my best to try to describe what it is we're we're talking about here. Well, I immediately mark the first one. I think you're going to talk about. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's start with the title. Okay. Yeah. So report from the daughter of a blue planet. She begins by alerting us to the fact that she is defamiliarizing the familiar. Mm-hmm. Right? She's taking a very broad view. The blue planet is, of course, Earth. Mm -hmm. She doesn't say that. She seems to be saying one of those blue planets. And in doing so, she evokes all the connotative possibilities of blue, you know, instead of saying Earth, right? Oh, I got you. Okay. You know, the feeling Emotionally blue. blue. Yes. Sad. Also, possibly the blues. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the other manuscript leans on musical legends, especially jazz singer Mary Lou Williams. So there isn't necessarily specifically, there's more jazz, I'd say, than blues in this, but the daughter of a blue planet. There's there's also something about that that, I mean, it makes our experience feel so distant and remote mm-hmm. and yet cold the, and muted cold and muted but there's still i feel like an allegiance there it's the daughter of a blue planet mm-hmm. right not like the expat of a blue planet or something like that like i was born to this planet mm-hmm. and and look at all the sorrow that there actually is within that sorrow love because without love you probably wouldn't feel the sorrow mm-hmm. you know you'd probably be like i'm done with this place <laughs> later yeah that's sort of where we begin it sort of feels like we begin way out in space right and so what we're getting here is not the internal view of a of an eye speaker i mean you do get an eye speaker mm-hmm. here but it, it doesn't feel intimate right mm-hmm. she's giving a report of what she sees, if we can even call her a she. Mm-hmm. The speaker isn't gendered. Uh, they aren't aged a particular way. We only know that... Well, daughter. Daughter, but that could be any age, <laughs> right? But I mean, gender, I mean... Oh, yes, yes, sorry, gendered, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, that was incredibly stupid. It's late. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it actually... We're, yeah, we're, this is about long after we would normally be done. Okay, go ahead. 
Anyways, so um, that's where we start off, uh-huh. way out in space. And then we get this first line. Night after night, the land, line break, delivers its verdict, period. Blades. Blades. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. That's, yeah. No, it's amazing. So that, that in of itself is telling us what to expect in the rest of the poem. Mm-hmm. And so because she places that at the very start there, that, that move, we start to look for it in the rest of the poem. Mm-hmm. This actually, the beginning of this reminds me of another MLK quote. I don't think that she was necessarily thinking of it uh-huh. when, when, uh, when she wrote this, but, um, what is the quote? So it's from loving your enemies. Mm-hmm. And the quote is returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. And toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. And here we have night after night, the land. Like this land mm-hmm. is night after night after night after night. Is, is the implication mm-hmm. here. Like every night is another night. Yeah. <laughs> day after day, bright sunny day. Right. No. Night after night, the land delivers its verdict. And the verdict isn't good, right? The verdict is blades. But this also, I think, harkens to, and this may be way deep buried in the poem, and it may just be reader's response at this part, but Mm -hmm. you say verdict and you cannot help but hear the verdicts of of the many people in our judicial system, in our prison system, who should not be there many of whom are African-American. Right. And the innocent verdict of all the people that should be in there. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a very Think fine... About, yeah. Yeah, that's a very fine point. Those Chicago cops today. Right. So, night after night, the land delivers its verdict, blades, right? It cuts you. Whatever mm-hmm. that verdict is, is a cut. Blades of grass struggle through earth. So, it's transformed. Mm-hmm. You're like, ooh, dark delivers its verdict blades and then you and then you realize when you go into the next line blades of grass and you're oh. like oh okay Here's, so here comes spring hope. yeah <laughs> struggle through earth hearts and lungs develop in their sacks and this and this also may be something that is reader response but i i can't hear blades of grass and not hear what Whitman? Walt Whitman's okay. Leaves of Grass. Oh, yeah. Leaves of Grass. That's what, okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so, and specifically a particular part of that. So there's, there's, let me quote part of Leaves of Grass here so you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Or I guess it is a uniform hieroglyphic. He's talking about grass. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'll frame this better. Okay. <laughs> the significance of grass in uh, American poet Walt Whitman's Song of Myself as part of his sort of epic work not sort of epic, it is epic work, uh, Leaves of Grass, is that usually he's talking about the single blade of grass as representing a kind of individual in society. He is he comes across this field of grass, you know, what is grass, asks the child. And then so he's sort of ruminating on what grass is or what it could mean <laughs> and represent. So he comes to this this particular moment. Or I guess it is a uniform hieroglyphic. 
and it means sprouting alike in broad zones and narrow zones, growing among black folks as among white. And Whitman arrives at this particular moment. And now it seems to me the beautiful uncut hair of graves. Hmm. And then he's, you, we're going to skip forward several stanzas, and this particular section ends like this. The smallest sprout shows there is really no death. And if ever there was, it led forward life and does not wait at the end to arrest it and cease the moment life appeared. All goes onward and outward. Nothing collapses. And to die is different from anyone supposed and luckier. So I can't help but see blades of grass in a palm and think about people, the citizens of our country. That's sort of what Whitman laid out and what poets who come after him are working with (laughs) to a certain extent. So blades of grass struggle through earth. It's not an easy spring to come up through. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and then just a comma and goes on to hearts and lungs develop in their sacks. And so it feels to me that she is making a direct comparison between blades of grass and human beings, Mm -hmm. quite literally here. And then beetles mingle with dust and buds is that line. But then once you get to the next line, you realize it's beetles mingle with dust and buds of flowers unfastened for the last time. Oh. Right? But here she gets to have her cake and eat it too, right? Sounds like beetles mingle with dust and buds of flowers unfastened for the last time. And I love I love the assonance of unfasten and last. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. You know, we I'm looking there's all because uh, we just discussed this in um, the D. A. Powell we just did last week. Oh, okay. Um, where I was asking about ampersands and she, the word and is not in here. Yep. I'm looking at this. It's just, yeah. it's three amper, four ampersands. Hmm. That's a really good observation. I wonder if she does that throughout the manuscript. Oh, more ampersands. More. Ampersands plenty. <laughs> it's usually indicative of a, of a poet who is either working in a more innovative vain mm-hmm. and she is considered more avant-garde right because the other one you said it's more conversational a little bit looser well, yeah but you know d.a powell is also considered avant-garde right mm-hmm. he's also well, quite innovative. yeah you had to right i was very um resistant to that poem you had to um <laughs> kind of take my hand through that one i wound up loving it but yeah but but it, the ampersand is is usually both it's somebody who is working in a, a in a kind of conversational mode that is also Avant-garde. Avant-garde was actually in, in the name of one of her books you were listing off at the beginning of the show. Uh, yeah, it's one of the anthologies, I think, that she's, okay. she's been in. I'm sorry. Okay, off off the ampersands, you, you, were, you were talking about the buds and... Yeah. Well, dust and buds, which seem like uh, they're sort of opposites. I love beetles mingle. Um, you get that nice assonance there, and, and which I wouldn't necessarily think of because... Uh, beetles have the, the double e and mingles just the 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 mm-hmm. i but that sounds really nice too dust and buds which somehow sounds like they're inside out of one another mm-hmm. dust buds beautiful beautiful sound work in these lines i think but beetles mingle with dust and buds of flowers sorry and and buds of flowers unfastened for the last time 
So all of this, all of this work here, uh, you know, it's life and death, life and death. Yeah, these life flowers, final bloom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, final uh, day bloom. Then you're you're off. Right for the last time, and then the man convicted as a child will perish. But a man convicted as a child stands a break. Stands a break. Yeah. Let's let's sit on that. This guy's been in here a long time. Yes. Yeah. And what crime can a child commit? Not, I mean, right. That deserves such a long sentence. Right. Exactly. I mean, and and to think about all of the young men being tried as adults in our prison system. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm thinking also specifically of the young woman who was recently finally pardoned by the governor of Tennessee or the outgoing governor of Tennessee. Um, Right. Ms. Brown. mm -hmm, Yes. Um, you know, who was convicted for, of defending herself. Right. Anyways. Against an assailant. Yeah. This kind of tragic sentencing happens all the time. I mean, I'm also actually thinking specifically of this line of another poet, Reginald Dwayne Betts, mm-hmm. who also wrote a, a memoir about him being convicted of auto theft when he was 16 and sentenced to a ridiculous sentence Uh-oh. and was in prison for a very long time. I can't remember exactly how long, but it might have been like eight years, nine okay. years, something like that. Like time that you can never, ever, ever get back. Right. Yeah. And especially going to prison. Yeah. In some formative years. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, an, an animal factory. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really not. Yeah. So um, he's become a very vocal proponent against, of course, that. But he's gone on to become quite a famous writer and also get his law degree oh, from Yale. Yeah. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's a big deal. So yeah, the man convicted as a child will perish. And, and that seems like, yeah, of course, you know, that, that, that whatever sort of childlike aspect of himself could never be nourished in that kind of environment. In the poem itself, looking at that, it's the it's the very first line of the second stanza. Will perish, period, the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she's she's sort of taking that idea of the future here and it's extended from from the man. There's an associated leap, mm-hmm. right? The man convicted as a child will perish, the future and then you're like, oh, gosh, the future will perish is how we're reading this. But then there's another line break accumulates its matter beneath the surface of life going about its business. So the future accumulates its matter. There's a lot that could be said. There, there's some real heft to this. Yes. I mean, she could just be talking about dirt in some ways, right? Yeah. That's what we're thinking of because of the earlier Grass yeah. imagery. Or like mountain erosion to an alluvial fan. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think, it seems like it has a hell of a lot more gravitas to it than that. Yes. I don't know what, but I sense it. <laughs> <laughs> For the radio listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement with Daniela Max. The poem we're discussing today is Report from the Daughter of a Blue Planet by Yona Harvey. If you'd like to read along with the work, you can find it on our website, litfromthebasement.com. Go to the show notes tab and find show number 25. The future accumulates its matter. It's thinking about the future becoming solid, right? Mm-hmm. Like right it, now it is, it is immaterial because mm-hmm. it is just in our minds. And eventually it will coalesce. Right. But in that case, the future is always all around us in a solid 
form because often it takes the materials of what we have right now. Right? So in a few minutes, we will be in the future. and oh, we here we go. <laughs> exactly. And here we are. Again. <laughs> yeah. I think the important part of this sentence is beneath the surface of life going about its business. So everybody's like, keep moving. Everything's fine. fine. Don't. Nothing to see here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> These <laughs> aren't great injustices. Just move along. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of the more important things. Life going about its business, I think, is also relevant here, that the business aspect of mm. it is pushing us forward more so than other aspects of life. But about its business, the mind mm -hmm. is that line, right? Which is, so the mind's, the mind's business seems to be the new subject that we're going for here. Disassembles and covers itself with sleep. Which I love. I mean, she's turned to sleep itself into a kind of blanket, right? A blanket or even possibly a shroud in some way. But the mind also has to break down, disassemble. It has to like shut itself. The mind disassembling, I think, is a beautiful metaphor for dreaming. Hmm. To take apart various parts and put it to whatever part of your brain that that pneumatic chain, not pneumatic, mnemonic chain. Pneumatic. <laughs> pneumatic. pneumatic tubes. Pneumatic tubes in my head. <laughs> that would be fun. Um, would it? <laughs> you're right. It might be painful. Well, there are not a lot of nerve endings up there, but uh, no, uh, whatever um, road of neurons mm -hmm. um, is, is collecting in your mind in terms of, you know, your associative leaps, this memory reminds me of this, reminds me of this, however things are categorized in your head, right? That the mind disassembles and covers itself with sleep is kind of beautiful. From a distance, we measure the moon, but might not recognize our own children. Beautiful and sad and true. Mm -hmm. From a distance, we measure, which makes me feel like there's a judgment that's happening there. Hmm. We measure the moon from a distance, right? To look up at the moon and to hold your thumb up, you could press your thumb over it. Or it could be talking obviously about the sort of technological advances yeah. that we have in measuring the moon. Like we are so technologically advanced that we can do that, but we might not recognize our own children. Right. We'll study things at a great distance, at a great remove. Mm -hmm. Yes. Completely. And yet, yeah. And yet neglect those closest to us. Yes. Or what we should be nurturing here. <laughs> or what we should be measuring, right? I mean, why aren't, why aren't these people measuring their children, say, against... Or just studying. That's the word I was looking for, study. Mm, to, yeah. To study upon. Yeah. To ponder, right? Thank you. Uh, to think of deeply. That's what, that's what probably should be happening here. Take the measure of your child. Indeed, yes. And then a woman calls across a continent... And no one answers. I mean, there's such a deep loneliness in that. I think right after children, I feel like that woman's a mother. Mm -hmm. Oh, calling for her children in some way. Like you say, call, and you know, she, she may be picking up a phone. Mm -hmm. It may be somebody that's sort of going from place to place, a kind of orator. It may be a singer. It may be 
just somebody who is is giving out a kind of lonesome call all across the continent waiting for somebody to answer. Yeah, you can just imagine the hollow wind blowing yeah. as her only response. Yeah. It could be something, you know, simple, calling out over Facebook and having no <laughs> responses, like whatever, whatever it is. My children unfriended me. <laughs> I mean, that's pushing it entirely into the comic, but yeah. so, but yeah, there's just such a deep loneliness in there. And I think, you know, to go from, uh, the mind disassembling itself in sleep to the moon, to these lost children, to the woman calling, it feels like we're going, we're going right back into the beginning of the poem with where you go to night after night, mm -hmm. the land, right? I feel like you could almost just keep reading this poem over and over, it would be a beautiful lead-in. Because I could imagine, right, and no one answers. Night after night, the land delivers its verdict, etc. It feels to me like a woman who's lost her, her child hmm. or children. But it doesn't have to be, right? It could just be that. Yeah, let's not, let's not have it be that. Not before we go to sleep and wrap up everything. No, I, <laughs> yeah, no that not lost the child as in the child has died, but that the child has been taken away from her. Mm. Right? Yeah, which, let's not go near that, about the child separation stuff and how they found there's thousands more. Is that what you're talking about like today? Oh, no. I, I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I wasn't going to go there. I was actually going to talk about the sort of the history of African-American people losing their children. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Here's the problem with me. I love sad poems. <laughs> so there's a problem with me picking them all the time. Like, I sometimes try to find some some happy poems. And I don't think that the, the, this is completely it's, devoid of happiness. No, no it's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, I think it's just gorgeous. It's I just so, didn't want it, to start talking about child loss as, as we end towards the end of the show. Yeah, well, and I mean, we sometimes, sleep. sometimes that's unavoidable. Sometimes that's unavoidable. I can't believe I'm the one demanding we be peppy. That has never happened in my life before <laughs> I met you. Can't you just yeah. think about nice things? Oh my God, I became my mother. <laughs> or you became me when we first got together. Yeah, you rubbed off. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a sad poem, uh, but I love the distance of it. And I love thinking of being the daughter of a blue planet. I feel like if I were taken away from Earth at this very moment, even if I were to go to someplace really, really wonderful, you know, you're always going to be the daughter of that place. And as I said earlier, I do really feel like the sorrow in this is rooted in love, that there's a kind of familiar as in family, like connection mm -hmm. to the earth itself that's happening uh, in the poem. And that you can't actually miss something if you didn't love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and so beneath some of this really melancholy imagery, I think there's love, which is what's holding it together. The very end of this um, with the, the woman having lost, possibly a woman uh, having lost a child, I actually think back to one of my favorite essays by Audre Lorde um, from her collection, Sister Outsider. Oh, you've said this to me before. This is powerful. This kills me. Like yeah. Every time I hear it, it kills me. It's from her essay, uh, Age, Race, Class, and Sex, 
Women Redefining Difference, and it was a paper delivered in the Copeland Colloquium at Amherst College in April 1980. So this is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. A long time ago, and again, sadly, still true. Listen to this. <laughs> Listen to this quote. Today, with the effect of the ERA, the tightening economy, and increased conservatism, it is easy once again for white women to believe the dangerous fantasy that if you are good enough, pretty enough, sweet enough, quiet enough, teach the children to behave, hate the right people, and marry the right men, that you will be allowed to coexist with patriarchy in relative peace, at least until a man needs your job or the neighborhood rapist happens along. And true, unless one lives and loves in the trenches, it is difficult to remember that the war against dehumanization is ceaseless. In this address, she is talking to a lot of white feminists Mm -hmm. who have not included in their sort of understanding of women's issues, the various issues and problems and obstacles that women of color face. And one of the things she says is this. Some problems we share as women, some we do not. You fear your children will grow up to join the patriarchy and testify against you. We fear our children will be dragged from a car and shot down in the street, and you will turn your backs upon the reasons they are dying. A great sign from the Women's March right after the day after uh, the inauguration was a woman saying, now the sign read, now we'll see all you nice white women at the next Black Lives Matters March, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, yep, that's pretty yeah, much. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> that that seems like it's 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 directly on point. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, 1980, 2016. To, right. Still. Yeah. I mean, you know. I mean, I don't think that that I, I'm going off topic. More, yeah, here, we're clearly. way off topic. We're at this point. Like, I don't think that that Harvey necessarily was thinking of that quote by Audre Lorde. It's merely an associative leap of mine. And a quote I dearly love. It moves me every time. Yeah, every time I hear it. So let's just end with one more reading of the poem. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll put a link to is is it a complete essay that she had done that I uh, oh sure she did yeah yeah we that that'd be a great idea let's put a PDF of the essay up okay yeah um real quick if you want to read along with the poem just go to our website litfromthebasement.com click on show notes tab along the top then scroll to the show title with the poem's name the most recent show was always on top report from the daughter of a blue planet by yona harvey Night after night, the land delivers its verdict. Blades of grass struggle through earth. Heart and lungs develop in their sacks. Beetles mingle with dust and buds of flowers unfasten for the last time. The man convicted as a child will perish. The future accumulates its matter beneath the surface of life going about its business. The mind 
disassembles and covers itself with sleep. From a distance we measure the moon, but might not recognize our own children. A woman calls across a continent, and no one answers. The hearts and lungs develop in their sacs gives me the impression of how um, root systems look like the capillaries. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spreading out. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I really like that, that extension of that image. I also was really, really loving children calls across continent happening in the, the sound work in that penultimate line. Hmm. Okay. It is very late for us. <laughs> We're exhausted. <laughs> We're going to bed. Bedwise is rightwise. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. You guys have a wonderful MLK day, a great week. <laughs> I'm so tired, I forgot how to do our sign out. Our theme music is by Status Q. We have links on our homepage for you to subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. You can also subscribe through the Google Play Store. <sighs> Our show notes have their own tab on our website. There you can find a copy of the work we discuss, a link to purchase the work, author information, and anything else we thought might be relevant, such as the essay by... Audrey Lord. Thank you. If you have a comment, suggestion, correction, or an alternate reading of the poem, please send us a message by using our contact page. If you want to hear Danielle read some of her work, click on the Vanity Press tab on our website. And that brings us to bed. Okay. Good night. Good night. was really sweet when he we laid him in bed and he put his fat little baby arms around my neck and smushed his little nose to my nose and then promptly fell asleep oh yeah it's like the best <laughs> i didn't think you'd mind me depositing our child next no. year she slept today I'm like yeah i'm like mm, squishy baby yeah hand him over and squish him up okay so we are getting a yeah 10 30 we're getting a super late start I mean, it's 10.30. We shouldn't even be starting. We should be going to bed right now. <clears throat> <laughs> we don't know how we'll feel tomorrow night. Okay. Or how do you feel? Do you think you is just Is it actually to... 10.30? How is it 10.30? When we left, it was 10. Yeah, but we went down. I was doing the bread and... How is it... T are you? Is it seriously 10.30? Yeah. 10.22. How the fuck is it 10.30? It, it literally doesn't make sense. We walked from upstairs to downstairs. It took us half an hour to do that. You had to go to the bathroom. Yeah, that didn't take that long. Really? Really. Sounded like it did. <laughs> <laughs> Great. What was all that screaming? <laughs> towel bar still going to be Don't on? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Screaming? <laughs> Gross. It's a valid question. <laughs> if it were true, it would be a valid question. As it stands, it's just a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, th I think we should actually... We don't have to, but I...
I'm game to give it a shot tonight. Okay. Welcome to Lit from the Basement. This is Danielle. This is Max. I'm an author and professor. I used to be the first mate on Captain Quint's ship, the Orca.